Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to Episode 5, Mindfulness During a Time of Crisis. Mindfulness is about being present and living in this moment right now, as this moment is truly all that we have. I can tell you that I've been practicing mindfulness for a very long time in my own life, and I begin each and every class that I teach with one minute of mindfulness, and it's so incredibly calming and centering um, that I can't even tell you what it does for me even just before teaching a class. What's ironic is when we need to, you know, sort of ground ourselves, center ourselves, and retreat to this place of calm is when we often do the opposite. We tend to do this in general, just when we, you know, take on too much in college, at work, or a combination of that with family commitments. And we take on, or as they say, bite off more than we can chew. And we're running around like gerbils on crack, you know, trying to hold it all together frantically just surviving our lives rather than living. In fact, it's when we're in this frenzied mode, this just frantic mode, that we are actually kind of becoming more of a human doing rather than a human being. In many ways, we're set up for this in our very fast-paced media-saturated society. In fact, when on day one of, of whatever class it is I'm teaching, we kind of go over what mindfulness is and what it isn't, I'll often start out with a really basic question that ends up with very blank stares. I'll ask my students, has anyone ever taught you to concentrate? So my students will sit there, you know, kind of shaking their heads side to side, no. In fact, I'm not sure if anyone has ever answered yes to that. So think about that. Across the board, unanimously, you know, college students are saying, no, no one ever taught me how to concentrate. Yet, you know, right out of the gate, small children are expected to concentrate in school you know, as early as, you know, preschool and kindergarten, and these expectations, you know, increase the older we get, and we're often met with negative when we fail to do so. Yet no one ever teaches us how to focus. Okay, so let's think about this. The high majority of us, you know, sort of started out life with no foundation for how to focus. No idea. And especially this generation uh, was born into such a fast-paced world saturated with stimulation. Their phones go off 24-7. They have this um, unwavering need and craving to be connected all day, every day. And so they are conditioned conditioned to be distracted. Our world, our society as it is right now, 
has taught us to be distracted. And though the millennials and Gen Zs, also called iGens, depending on who you talk to now, you know, we're kind of born into this. This is true for, for all of us, even us seasoned adults. Sounds so much nicer than older. Uh, us seasoned adults, we're, we are all flying around like gerbils on crack because we are surrounded by this. It's just fast, fast, fast all the time. So we're zipping all around, you know, not living in our minds, not living in the moment, not being present. And all of a sudden, there's a global crisis, a pandemic sweeping across the world, just taking lives mercilessly and leaving a wake of terror behind it. And certainly living as mindfully as possible each and every day and embracing our valuable life minutes is important, you know, always. There is also, um, when we kind of spin out of that, that place, there's no better time to return to this mindful, mindful place than when we're in a crisis. And currently we've got, you know, this pandemic thing going on. But any crisis, anything we perceive to be a crisis, it is then that it's, it's best for us to make the effort to be mindful and centered and calm. Yet what makes sense for us to do is not often, you know, the path we take. Instead, we tend to dig in and hang on to um, this, this nervous and fearful energy that's going on around us. We get swept up in it. We get swept up in it like a powerful current of chaos. And it's when we feel ourselves beginning to get swept up in this powerful current of fear and chaos that we really need to make the effort to put the brakes on, and to retreat within. We need to find that calm place, that safe place within ourselves. I'd like to to take a minute to kind of discuss what mindfulness is and what it is not, because there are, you know, lots of different meditations out there, and certainly they're all good for well-being, and it's kind of a situation of, like, finding a comfortable pair of shoes, you know, finding the one or even more than one that suit you the best. And, you know, lots of these meditations, most of these meditations involve some sort of structure there. You know, our sitting ones and standing ones and river ones and mountain ones. And and uh, many of these involve kind of striving towards creating a vacuum of thought enchanting, just all different ones. And mindfulness just takes a different approach than this. So when I uh, practice mindfulness with my students before class starts, you know, I have them sit up straight and say nice dignified position. And then I'll make a joke about there's no such thing as dignified slacking and they all chuckle. 
And then we then breathe deeply and intentionally for one minute. As mentioned in previous discussions, we've had the breath thing, the welcoming breath is absolutely huge for being mindful because it's a neurological thing. It actually reminds the mind to come back into the body. In other words, out of next Tuesday, where you have an important meeting or discussion with your boss about um, what's going to go on with work, especially during this, this crisis, and it brings it your mind out of that place or out of you know 2016 when somebody said something mean to you, and it brings you back into the moment. So in a classroom situation, again, there's structure. We're sitting up straight. And we are, you know, practicing a very intentional, you know, breathing pattern for about a minute. And this is fantastic. And this is one way to practice mindfulness. And one of the main reasons I love mindfulness so much is that it does not need to involve any kind of structure, as many of the other meditations do. And not at all, because mindfulness is about being present in the moment right now, regardless of what you're doing. So what mindfulness is in a nutshell is about, it's about bringing ourselves into awareness in this moment. It's about being alert and aware. And it's also non-judgmental, which is also one of my favorite parts of mindfulness. Mindfulness is about being fully engaged with whatever it is you're doing. This can be gardening, cooking, cleaning the bathroom even. In fact, this reminds me of years ago. Our our kids are young adults now, and all five of them were little, and we had a dishwasher, and it then broke. So, of course, the kids weren't fans of doing the dishes even with the dishwasher, And when it broke, we were washing them by hand for a family of seven. And we usually had friends around, so it's usually more than seven. So we would take turns, and all of a sudden, uh, with the broken dishwasher, and say, okay, he wants to do the dishes tonight. And, of course, the kids just scattered as fast as they could. And so I began doing them. My husband began doing them for a short while. Then we got them back in the routine. But the point is, I was washing them by hand with, hot water. Everyone took off. So I was by myself, this hot, soapy water doing dishes and looking out the window, you went to the woods and the birds are kind of, you know, landing right there in the window box and and chirping away. I thought, you know, wow, this isn't so bad. The water's hot and it's soothing and it's quiet and it's calming and I'm by myself. And I realized I was, this is years and years ago, I was mindfully doing the dishes and all of a sudden it began to feel less like a chore and more like a gift. I'm also a runner and I ski and way back then around that time, I used to run, you know, plugged in to music 
And though I would still do that, let's say if I were going to do a half marathon or something, because that's long. But for my regular little, you know, runs around town, two miles, five miles, I haven't run with music for years. I, you know, you can run mindfully, ski mindfully. Um, you can have, you know, if you're having five star sex with someone you're just absolutely crazy about, be in your body, be with that person, enjoy what you're doing. In fact, John Kabat-Zinn, you know, one of the leading mindfulness gurus, if not the leading mindfulness guru who runs uh, a pain clinic in Boston, talks about um, our daily activities. You know, if you're going to brush your teeth, be mindful, brush your, be in that moment brushing your teeth. He talks about uh, when you take a shower in the morning, you know, that again, that lovely hot water starting our day, be in the shower. And the next time you're in the shower, check how many people are in the shower with you. Did you bring all the people from work in there? Did you bring all the people from, from your class in there? Did you bring somebody from five years ago who did something mean to you in there with you? Check and see who's with you in the shower. Because it's when we're in the shower or driving and our minds are kind of, you know, not as occupied that we tend to invite all of this, all these people, all this chaos, all these thoughts and worries in with us. And if you have somebody in the shower who's real, well, then good for you. No judgment. In fact, in John Kabat-Zinn's book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, he says that meditation is simply about being yourself and knowing something about who that is. It is about coming to realize that you are on a path, whether you like it or not, namely the path that is your life. Meditation may help us see that this path we call our life has direction, that it is always unfolding, moment by moment, and that what happens now, in this moment, influences what happens next. In realizing this sort of domino-like chain of events is most definitely important during a time of crisis. And this is because fear often causes us to react rather than to respond. And of course, reacting and responding are quite different, where being in a place where we're being reactive has us in, you know, this ready stance to a very reflexive kind of knee-jerk, you know, way to behave versus responding, which is a more slowed down and deliberate way to speak or behave. Practicing mindfulness helps us with becoming less reactive and more responsive, which obviously, you know, can be of enormous benefit in life in general. Think about it with relationships. We're less, you know, knee-jerky and more responsive, more slowed down. When we practice mindfulness, we are better able to hit the pause button, even if it's just for a few moments. And the outcome of that will be 
dramatically better than it would be if we just react. So again, this benefits us in life in general, you know, again, relationship, personal relationships, work relationships, as a parent, you know, as a sibling in any kind of way, and then enter the crisis piece where we're already amped up, our worry circuits are in full tilt, limbic system in full tilt, often the threat circuit, the, the switch has been flipped on the threat circuit, and we are far, far more apt to react than respond. Mindfulness slows this down, even if it's by seconds. And so as far as this, you know, domino chain of events where one moment, you know, leads to the next moment, well, how we handle this moment then very much affects future moments, our future life minutes. And so if we think about how incredibly important it is to kind of shift from reacting versus responding, this is huge. John Kabat-Zinn continues to, to say that if what happens now does influence what happens next, then doesn't it make sense to look around a bit from time to time so that you are more in touch with what is happening now so you can take your inner and outer bearings and perceive with clarity the path that you're actually on and the direction in which we're going, if you do so, maybe you'll be in a better position to chart a course for yourself that is truer to your inner being, a soul path, a path with heart, your path, a path with a capital P. If not, the sheer momentum of your unconsciousness in this moment just colors the next moment. The days, the months, and years quickly go by unnoticed, unused, and unappreciated. So again, mindfulness is about bringing ourselves into awareness and seeing the value of and appreciating our own life minutes and then how our current life minutes influence later life minutes. So in other words, our, our right now present moment will influence a future present moment in a domino sort of way in other cultures also known as karma. Another reason that I love the practice of mindfulness and it's such a good fit for me is that the very nature of practicing mindfulness is non-judgmental. So again, other forms of meditation are also good. It's all good about well-being, and uh, again, it needs to be a good fit for you. The non-judgmental piece is something uh, that's a huge attraction to me because, as mentioned earlier, uh, other meditations often involve structure and chanting, and that's great if that works for you. But what I like about mindfulness is that it's not about creating a thought vacuum. It's actually the opposite. It's about welcoming anxious thoughts or fearful thoughts and actually putting the doormat out there because they actually dissipate more quickly when we do so. So if we're, you know, taking a walk in the woods, mindfully taking a walk in the woods or mindfully enjoying a bubble bath or mindfully sitting on the back deck with a big glass of lemonade or whatever, 
And all of a sudden, an anxious thought rolls through. You know, we don't say, oh, no, there I go again. You know, I can't even do mindfulness right. You know, what's the matter with me? No. We say, non-judgmentally, you know, okay, there went an anxious thought. You know, welcome to the human race. And who cares? This non-judgmental piece is obviously important for emotional well-being anyway. And during a time of crisis, you know, it's it's especially important because, when, you know, so many people walking around out there have the, have the switch flipped on their threat circuits. You know, we're even more predisposed to being reactive. And when we embrace this non-judgmental nature of mindfulness practice, we're sort of automatically led to a place of cutting ourselves some slack. So if we bring this into the time of crisis, the current crisis with the pandemic, if we think of those on the front lines right now, the nurses, doctors, all all the medical crew working, you know, these insanely long shifts and exposed to things, putting themselves in danger and their and their families, and mandatory shifts and days and days without a day off are obviously going to be you know, predisposed to maybe, you know, stubbing their toe or having a child, you know, tug on them for a juice box and and snap. As well as those on the front lines at, you know, grocery stores and gas stations working these long, long shifts and also exposing themselves and their families as well. You know, then all of a sudden your partner lost the remote for the TV and it's like they committed manslaughter. And when we do, you know, slip up and, and um, we react or overreact and snap at the partner or, um, you know, get, get crabby with a child, you know, I promise I'll read to you, just wait 15 minutes, you know, kind of thing. Rather than beating ourselves up when we're normally a really good parent and, you know, beating ourselves up with all this internal dialogue about how horribly, you know, how horribly we just reacted instead okay apologize and go read the book apologize to the partner bah, 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 and cut yourself some slack you know you just did a 12-hour shift or you were just home all day with three small kids who were in school until it closed and you know trying to juggle maybe doing you know taking on college classes yourself or taking on um, not being at work and missing your friends and missing the paychecks and now you're on unemployment, whatever, to cut ourselves some slack. Mindfulness is really, really good at getting us into a place where we can see our humanness and accept it and extend some loving kindness and patience. The non-judgmental piece also puts the brakes on what we call secondary emotions and I hear this from my students a lot, and it, it certainly works with the examples we just gave and also just with general labeling for uh, my students who identify with their anxiety or depression, you know, and they'll say, oh, you know, they might, do, might, they might be doing really, really well, let's say, for two weeks. They have anxiety, but they've had a good two weeks. Maybe they're, they're doing well in school, they're exercising, eating well, sleeping well, friends are okay, and even though they're you know, diagnosed with anxiety, they've had a good couple of weeks. 
then all of a sudden, you know, life happens, pandemic happens or whatever. And they'll say, oh, there I go again. There goes my anxiety again. There go, there I go again. And we call these secondary emotions because if it's not enough to feel anxious, which I don't think anyone enjoys, now we're feeling badly about being anxious or we're feeling badly about feeling badly. And this obviously just uh, complicates things and further overwhelms us. And an added bonus to this, of course, is when we practice mindfulness, and as we've said kind of repeatedly throughout our discussions, is, you know, what we practice, we inevitably get good at, no matter what that is, you know, violin or cooking or whatever. We practice and rehearse mindfulness we get better at it when we practice the non-judgmental dialogue that comes along with mindfulness. We very naturally become more non-judgmental or less judgmental, however you want to say it. And of course, what we do with ourselves, we we kind of transfer to other people. So when we become less judgmental of ourselves, we also become less judgmental of others. And so it kind of has this uh, trickle-down effect that affects the whole world. And the non-judgmental piece also leads us down a path of clarity with the idea that any of us on any day can only do the best we can do and that our best is going to shift and change depending on our environment and what's going on in our lives in that moment. And this idea of always doing your best is discussed by um, Don Miguel Ruiz, one of my all-time favorite books, The Four Agreements. And the author says, under any circumstance, always do your best, no more and no less. But keep in mind that your best is never going to be the same from one moment to the next. Everything is alive and changing all the time. So your best will sometimes be high quality, and other times it will not be as good. When you wake up refreshed and energized in the morning, your best will be better than when you are tired at night. Your Your best will be different when you are healthy as opposed to sick. Your best will depend on whether you're feeling wonderful and happy or upset, angry, or jealous. You know, of course, after raising five kids, I can certainly, um, even though they're older now, I can certainly relate to the parents out there during this time of crisis in our country and world that who are really just giving it everything they've, they've got um, to make it all come together. I'm thinking, you know, during the quarantine, if you have a a child home from school who has a birthday and the stores are closed, maybe you lost your job, partner lost their job, or you're the single parent and you got a, you know, a school age child home, can't have any kids over because of the quarantine, stores are closed, money's tight, or there may be none at all. And now you've got to get really, really creative to make this, this day special for this child. I know I'm, I'm in very close contact with my students at the moment who are, you know, uprooted during their, during their break and we're told not to come back. 
and, you know, I have, uh, because I had to go home and, and do the pandemic crisis. And I know that there are all sorts of ways that they're strategizing to do the very best they can, you know, going from a, a face-to-face learning situation in a small college, which for many of them was their, also their support system. And now they're home and doing things online and, uh, you know, readjusting to the whole situation. And of course, there are, you know, seniors across the country and world who, you know, worked so hard for this, for this day of graduation that's now been postponed or canceled. And many of them are doing their best with, a, you know, a virtual graduation that's, that's going to happen. Of course, there are many, you know, elementary, middle, and high school teachers doing their best to teach online when they've never done this. And on the other end, we've got, you know, school-age children and middle schoolers and such trying to learn online when they've never done this. Once again, parents who were working outside the home and now they have school-age children home with them because the schools were closed, and now they're trying to navigate a semi-homeschool situation where they're not used to. And the thing it comes down to, we're just, we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing the very best that we can. And as mindfulness is primarily about bringing ourselves into awareness, when there's a time of crisis like we have now, It's about bringing ourselves into that awareness that this is how it is for right now. We're in quarantine, and we all need to do the best we can, regardless of what that is. This is all anyone can ask or do is our best. Don Miguel Ruiz goes on to say that regardless of the quality, keep doing your best no more and no less than your best. If you try too hard to do more than your best, you will spend more energy than is needed, and in the end, your best will not be enough. When you overdo, you deplete your body and go against yourself, and it will take longer for you to accomplish your goal. But if you do less than your best, you will subject yourself to frustrations, self-judgment, guilt, and regrets. Just do your best in any circumstance in your life. It doesn't matter if you are sick or tired. If you always do your best, there's no way you can judge yourself. And if you don't judge yourself, there's no way you're going to suffer from guilt, blame, and self-punishment. By always doing your best, you will break a big spell that you have been under. And this spell that the author is alluding to may be uh, what differentiates mindless giving from mindful giving. When we are doing our best and no more and no less, just exactly what our best in this moment is, and we are mindfully giving, we feel charge, an authentic charge. We feel authentically good about ourselves and not exhausted. And in this time of crisis, you know, I think 
when there are crises go on, you know, in general, lots and lots of good comes out of people, lots of love and lots of kindness. People really step up. And that is certainly going on right now all over this country and the world. And again, this type of authentic giving is mindful giving versus mindless giving, which leaves us feeling depleted. Mindless giving also often leads to resentment. A classic example would be that mom who's, you know, always baking brownies for every event, always at every event, driving around in her minivan, the one who has three or four extra kids uh, that she's bringing everywhere because their parents are um, unable to bring their kids. And, And we're not talking about just being a, you know, being a good person and doing things here and there, but when it becomes a big part of her persona to be that, uh, rescuer, you know, kind of always that, that mom who's, who's being everybody's everything all the time. And people, you know, may smile and say, thank you. Though underneath it all, the amount of appreciate of appreciation she's feeling doesn't match up with the amount of effort she's putting in. This leads to emotional fatigue and then eventually resentment. Another uh, classic example would be someone out in the workplace who not only has, you know, this, you know, tenacious work ethic, but also is that fallback person because, you know, she or he or, you know, they make it look easy. And this person has kind of set themselves up, you know, because people uh, tend to give even more to people who not only get it done, but who make it look easy. Like it's not taking them a lot of effort. And they're often, you know, picking up the pieces at, at the workplace and taking on the extra, often not for any extra compensation, but the, you know, just the way it goes. And the big difference, again, between mindful giving and mindless giving is, you know, one is rejuvenating one is depleting and this is because one is authentic and one is coming from a place that's ego driven uh, because the authentic self doesn't have a need for approval. You know, like the people who are out there just doing really good things during this pandemic crisis because they, they just are, they're just stepping up and, it, and that's it versus mindless giving, which has a lot with the rescue dynamic. And this is about the ego needing approval and needing that kind of dope fix, like I said, uh, of external approval to feel good about ourselves. So after swooping in and being the great white hope, you know, rescuing over and over and over, you know, uh, we want to feel appreciated. The smiles and thank yous, you know, work for a while, but at a certain point we kind of want a deeper level of appreciation where, you know, the effort put in, you know, matches how uh, grateful people are for our efforts. And it's not just about people being aware of the large amount of effort we've put in. We also want them to be aware of the sacrifice that went into it as well. We could have, 
you know, given up a, our morning walk. We could have given up time with a partner, time with a child, been late to a little league game, or just come home plain exhausted from our own job and then taken on yet something else. We want people to truly understand the great lengths we went for them to be everybody's everything and to be appreciated for this. And since this rarely happens, at least to the degree we need people to appreciate our effort and sacrifice, we end up in a place with a kind of a slow-burning resentment beneath the skin. And uh, certainly one of the main reasons I'm such a fan of mindfulness is that it sort of gently redirects us from a place that's ego-driven, you know, sort of away from the false self and redirects us towards a path of authenticity. And this happens by becoming less concerned with the external and bringing about awareness of the internal. By learning to become aware and alert, we become better able to be fully present in this moment right now. Especially during a time of crisis, this is of utmost importance to take a big, deep, intentional, deliberate breath, which immediately returns our mind back into the body and away from all the chaos going around us. And as anxiety and fear involve thoughts about the past and or future, if we are fully engaged in the present moment, I mean 100%, not 99.9, if we are fully engaged in this moment right now, there will be no anxiety. It's important also to remember that one of the beauties of mindfulness, another reason why I'm such a big fan, is that we don't have to schedule it. You know, other forms of meditation or other things that we do even, you know, involve planning, even if it's just mild planning. We have to actually, you know, set a time and have that in our consciousness. With mindfulness, it goes where we go. It's just about a choice to be in the present moment, and that's it. In fact, John Kabat-Zinn says that if, you know, you, you learn about mindfulness and you're saying to yourself, oh, no, that's one more thing I have to do and I have to be mindful. He says, just don't do it. You know, you're not ready because mindfulness isn't about doing. Mindfulness is about being. And you can be anywhere doing anything. As he says in his book, wherever you go, there you are. And learning to allow anxious and fearful thoughts to just roll right through without judging ourselves gives us a sense of control. And these anxious and fearful thoughts will dissipate much more quickly. Fewer anxious and fearful thoughts then then opens up 
more emotional space. We become more emotionally available to ourselves and others. This non-judgment, of course, leads to a sense of acceptance. And with that, the idea that all any of us can do on any given day is our best. And that our best in this moment is good enough. By practicing mindfulness, we also develop a much deeper appreciation for our valuable life minutes. In fact, I've, I've said to my kids from the ground up, I say, kids, just, you know, be mindful always of spending your life minutes as if they were cash. We become aware that our current present moment and how we treat our current present moment will influence future present moments. We gradually become less reactive and more responsive. We also develop this this new awareness, as we said in the beginning, that stress is wanting the present moment to be something other than it is. And that by accepting the present moment exactly as it is, even during a time of crisis, will not only bring inner peace, but will be loaded with meaning. And I'll wind up here with my other favorite psychologist, Viktor Frankl, who is, of course, a Holocaust survivor. And he says that we can shift our focus of attention when coping with difficult situations. We can find meaning in all of life's moments. This is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Mm